Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Does anybody remember the Victory Garden? Anybody been around long enough to remember Victory Gardens? <clears throat> so um, there come there come seasons in a nation's life when um, everybody needs to get their hands dirty and needs to start planting and cultivating and harvesting. And you're saying to yourself, well, you know, all I have is a, a patch of front yard. Um, yeah, you know, let me just tell you this. Those HOA rules, nobody is going to be upholding those in the midst of all of this. So um, everybody needs to plant a garden this spring. I don't care how small it is. I don't, I don't care how, how great a variety of things. You know, even if it's a container garden on your porch, everybody needs to plant a garden this spring. It needs to be a victory garden. It's a, um, it's a declaration um, that we can do this. And that we can do something. And I, I grant, I recognize that God is the one who is going to carry us all through this season. God is the one who is going to redeem. God is the one who's going to heal. God is the one who's going to restore. No question about that. Absolutely no question about that. One of the things that God has given us um, from the Garden of Eden until the closing chapter of Revelation is a garden, a garden home. You and I were designed to live by God in an, an arboreal paradise. And so it's time to get planting. If you haven't planted something lately, if you haven't planted a seed and watched it germinate and sprout to life and provide the hope of nourishment in the future, this is a good day to do that. And so let me encourage everybody to plant a victory garden. Um, this is a wonderful opportunity to do something with your kids or with your grandkids, you could plant uh, seeds where you are. They could plant seeds where they are. And you could, you know, watch them grow over FaceTime or over whatever other technology you're using right now um, to to be with one another. You could send seeds in the mail to one another. This is Seeds are a great uh, thing to put in a card to send to a friend, to send to an older adult, to send as a sign of hope for the future. Um, with the promise of sharing that fruit or that vegetable together in due season, right? Uh, an entire season is going to pass while that fruit or that vegetable is growing, right? And then at the end, we can eat that harvest together, right? It's the promise of a shared future. It's the promise of goodness and growth. So get planting. That's my encouragement today. I want everybody to plant a victory garden. Um, and there are actually nonprofits across the country handing out seeds, vegetable seeds, for families to plant victory gardens. Uh, there are churches that are allowing uh, their green spaces to be converted into gardens for families who don't have a space uh, at their own piece of property where they could plant or for renters who are not allowed to do such a thing on the property where they're renting. So I want everybody today to consider what you can do to participate in the victory garden planting across the United States of America. Maybe you're on uh, a church leadership team and you've been wondering what, you know, our our property is literally 
lying fallow. Nothing is happening. Um, you know what? Offer up your your green space um, for people in the community who want to plant a victory garden, want to plant a garden. It's a great way um, for us to be cultivating relationships and cultivating what God has given us uh, with the promise of a shared future. So just that's my encouragement leading off today. Let us not despair. Let us instead be planting victory gardens. All right, next up, I've got Dr. David Stevens from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. He and I are going to talk about symptoms, and we're also going to talk about herd immunity. I didn't even know I was in a herd. I'm in a herd. You're in my herd with me. We'll be right back. Joining me now, Dr. David Stevens from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can check out everything that they're doing at cmda.org. Dr. Stevens, welcome back. It's good to be back, and I like your gardening segment. I'm a flower gardener. I have about a thousand little plants growing in my basement, and I'm starting to transplant them into my flower garden. So it's Doesn't that fun. make you so happy? I know. It does. It makes me I so love happy. it. And the house and gardens are just gorgeous and getting prettier every day. I have had to had to have a conversation yesterday uh, with the chickens, who um, do not uh, apparently appreciate that my pansies are not for digging up. I had that when I was in Africa. I had this little garden while we were in language school, and the chickens from the next plot came over and uh, raided every day. And mm-hmm. I would be out there with a rock in my hand trying to scare them <laughs> off or running towards the garden because you know they were eating my plants to the ground. So. I know. It's chicken raiders. nuts. Yeah. Oh. All right. So um, we have uh, we, we have bigger concerns, I suppose. Let's do a, a COVID-19 update. They have updated a list of symptoms. Let's tell people about that. Yeah, there's six new symptoms that they're telling people to look for. You know, the original ones were uh, fever, cough, shortness of breath, difficulty breathing. Uh, but now they're realizing that people get chills, uh, shaking chills sometimes, muscle pains, what we call myalgias, just feeling like you had a hard workout, but you didn't, uh, headache, uh, sore throat, and then some very interesting ones, a new loss of taste or smell. Sm- food doesn't smell right, doesn't taste good. Uh, other things that uh, have flavors to them don't have the same uh, flavor anymore. And then a pretty, very unusual one, but being seen fairly commonly is unusual skin issues, what they call COVID toes, little purple lesions uh, on the feet that people get. And this is actually, they think, happening from uh, blood coagulating in small vessels and causing these in their feet. And uh, they may appear with or without other symptoms, but they're a pretty definite sign of um, of COVID-19. So, yeah, some new things uh, to be aware of if you have them and, um, and kind of ring alarm bell that you may need to be seeing your healthcare professional or getting a test. Okay, and um, a play on words here. Um, what have you heard about herd immunity? <laughs> well, herd immunity is something we talk about uh, in medicine, but most people haven't heard of it, and mainly in the area of vaccinations. So measles is a great example of that or other diseases that we've dealt with. As you immunize for measles, you get more and more people 
that have immunity because they've been immunized. And you get to a level uh, with measles, which is very infectious, about 90 percent of people, when they get immunized, there's enough people immunized that the 10 percent that haven't been immunized probably aren't going to get it uh, because enough people can't pass it on. Uh, so there's a discussion of this with COVID-19, a report out of Sweden, where they have not been nearly as rigid uh, with their social isolation. And about 30 percent of the people uh, on testing are already immune. They've been exposed and developed antibodies, not through a vaccine, but through exposure, didn't even know they were sick. And uh, because of that, uh, they're thinking that, well, maybe when it gets up to 60 percent of people are positive, we'll have enough herd immunity. In other words, I have the disease and I'm around other people where so many of them are immune that there are very few people to pass it on. And when you get to a certain level, it's not passed and you're the last person to get the virus from that strain uh, that came to you. Now, somebody else could pass it on, but you didn't. So uh, what's that level? The more infectious the disease is, and COVID-19 is very infectious, the higher the level is necessary for herd immunity. And I would expect for uh, COVID-19, that would be in the 80 to 90% level, which we're a long way from. Uh, but uh, the other interesting thing, Carmen, is that new study out of New York that just came out in the last few days where they tested 3,000 people in grocery stores, just walked up and said, would you like to have your antibodies tested? And sure. And they stuck the finger out, got a finger prick. And they found out that over 21 percent of people in New York City had had the virus and didn't know it. In other words, they had had very mild symptoms or no symptoms at all. So what does that mean? That means that many more people are, are having this than we realize, and the herd immunity is growing because of that. And secondly, it makes the death rate much less. They talk about a 3% death rate in New York City from COVID-19. Well, with this new data, they're looking and saying, well, maybe it's only 0.6%, half percent, maybe less than that. That has huge public policy implications. And we know that the ones that have the least chance of getting it seriously are kids. So can we open the schools? Are we protecting ones we don't have to protect that are not at high risk and will get this herd immunity by letting the kids be exposed to each other, uh, get a light case of this and uh, and be able to continue on with school without any significant harm. So these are the big public policy questions. Lots of debates about this. Studies out of California saying that, yes, we should not be so rigid and start opening things up and herd immunity will grow. And that's the way to deal with this. So you're going to be seeing a lot about herd immunity in the news. I'm talking with Dr. David Stevens from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We'll be right back. We make a miracle walking, promise keeper, night in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Continuing my conversation with Dr. David Stevens from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Dr. Stevens, we have a listener question from Dawn. Um, Dawn has been reading headlines related to um, doctors reporting COVID-19 causing strokes in some young or middle-aged adults. Do you know anything about this? Sure. Yeah, it's actually a report out of Mount Sinai Health System in New York City uh, by a neurosurgeon there. And what they're finding, and I mentioned to you about COVID toes, it might be little uh, blood clots in small vessels. Well, it's happening in big vessels as well. 
And it tends to be among uh, younger people with no past medical history, with home with maybe just mild symptoms or no symptoms at all in a couple cases. And they're seeing a sevenfold increase in incidence of sudden severe strokes. These aren't light strokes. These are uh, paralyzing strokes. So nobody understands that completely, but it apparently is associated with COVID-19 and uh, hypercoagulability. What's that mean? It means your blood clots easier and you pop a clot and it goes shooting up in into a blood vessel in the brain and causes a stroke. So this is of great concern. It's not extremely common, but it's definitely something new that we hadn't known about before and something that doctors are going to be watching for and looking at how they can prevent it. All right. Um, basic, uh, I don't know, basic reminders about good health related to, I, I don't, I mean, see, we don't even, we don't even know if doing anything now would help us, right? Like, should I be taking an aspirin a day? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, you know, we're all yeah. looking for like anything preventative that we might do to avoid. It, we don't think that we can necessarily avoid getting the virus. Like we all sort of have arrived at that understanding, but we we would like to avoid some of these more horrible um, symptoms. Yeah. Well, you know, though it's an increased rate that they're seeing, it's not an enormous thing that we're seeing a lot of, at least yet. And so, um, you know, I wouldn't recommend an aspirin at this point. <laughs> Asymptomatic people, maybe if you're having symptoms, uh, uh, it might be helpful, but uh, I wouldn't take Motrin. Maybe an aspirin a day or baby aspirin or something like that might be helpful. Uh, but, yeah, bottom line is we just don't have enough experience. That's the thing with the antibody tests that, you know, we were talking about. How long do the antibodies last? Is it like the flu and it's just, uh, you know, your vaccine lasts for this season but not next season? And we've talked about people getting passports. I hear I've had coronavirus so I can travel on planes, you know, that type of thing. Well, how long does the antibody last? There's so many unknown questions and still debates going on, debating the evidence we do have. It's beginning to get clearer, but this is going to be a process. So you got to remember, we're only into this thing a, a few months and uh, we're learning new stuff every day. So um, have faith, trust God, do what you can and uh, don't be fearful. Uh, take precautions, especially for the elderly and those with uh, complicating chronic diseases. Be very careful with them. My wife, as I mentioned before, has got an immunosuppressive drug for rheumatoid arthritis. I wear a mask. I wear gloves. When I go out to go shopping or anything like that, I take extra precautions, not because of me, but because bring something home to her. So you got to think about others in these situations and then uh, and pray for our leaders. Uh, these are difficult decisions to make about opening and starting. And uh, you only get one chance to get it right and you only have one chance to get it wrong. And um, and there's consequences uh, on either side for the economy or for people's health. All right. One of the things that you guys do at CMDA um, are is to issue publicly issue these position statements, and you have some now on the duties of Christian healthcare professionals in pandemic infection and triage and resource allocation. Uh, we want to direct medical professionals to those at cmda.org. Tell us about these position statements. Yeah, I would encourage anyone to go because these aren't written in, you know, uh, detailed medical language. There's over 70 position papers on everything from homosexuality to transgender to uh, same-sex marriage to a new one just out on pornography. And they can be three to four 
pages, maybe a few pages more than that, with references which really give you critical information. Uh, the new pornography statement comes out. It de deals with the biblical side of it. It deals with the human cost side of it. How does it affect individual users? How does it affect marriages? How does it affect children? How does it affect society? Uh, how does it affect those that create it? And, and then it's well-referenced. So this is a, a wealth of information for people dealing with a lot of issues I haven't even mentioned yet uh, that can be helpful to Christians. It always has the Christian point of view here, the biblical basis, but also the science, the psychology, the social implications, uh, and those type of things of these major issues of our day from abortion to, to you name it. So some of them are more specific to healthcare professionals, but uh, the vast majority of them information that anyone would be helped in knowing. Just go to cmda.org, put in position papers. They're downloadable. They're free. And it's, a, it's an unbelievable library done by some of the top ethicists and Christian physicians in the country and approved by our board and our House of Representatives as our official statements. We just had an earlier conversation on the program um, today related to just some Pew research, you know, where Americans tend to make their decisions about um, things like when we say resource allocation, like who should get a ventilator. Um, we tend to make those decisions in a very pragmatic way. You know, me and mine first tends to be the uh, tends to be the guiding principle. That's not the biblical guiding principle, and it certainly can't be the guiding principle for healthcare professionals in the midst of a pandemic. And in the midst of the traumatic experience, is not the time when you need to be trying to find your ethical, uh, you know, your the ethical ground upon which you're going to stand. So I want to encourage those of you, um, not only who are healthcare professionals. But who are, you know, maybe you haven't thought much about um, how you should think, how one ought to think as a Christian about these kinds of things. These position papers are really helpful. Um, starting points for conversation with others about these questions, but also good biblical grounding for where we as Christians must stand in these days. Again, you can find them at cmda.org. Dr. Stevens, as always, thank you so much for being with us today. Carmen, it's always great to be with you, and happy gardening. Yeah, maybe um, I'm going to pull up the the. Uh, yeah, I'm happy. I, I am a happy gardener, man. I am a totally happy gardener. Um, <laughs> Makes me I am happy. Gonna, I'm going to pull up the um, position uh, paper that you referred to on pornography. I do think that that is a that's a that's a pandemic in the culture we don't talk about um, often enough. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's huge, and maybe we can hit that next time. Yeah, that sounds good. Thank you so much, sir. Have a blessed day. God, God bless. We'll be right back. You may remember a book entitled Out of the Salt Shaker. All right. Well, so Becky Pippert um, recognizes that we are called to be salt and light. She is the best-selling author of Out of the Salt Shaker. Guess what? She has a brand new book on the exact same topic. Updated for you and I, living in the world, the real world that we live in today. Not the year, not the world of 40 years ago. The world has changed. The message has not. The book, Stay Salt. Becky Pippert, up next. This is Max Licato. Many years ago, I spent a week visiting the interior of Brazil with a longtime missionary pilot. Wilbur and Orville had a sturdier aircraft. I could not get comfortable. 
I kept thinking the plane was going to crash in the jungle and I'd be gobbled up by piranhas. I kept shifting around, looking down, and gripping my seat as if that would help. Finally, the pilot had enough of my squirming. He looked over at me and shouted over the airplane noise, We won't face anything that I can't handle. You might as well trust me to fly the plane. Is God saying the same to you? Examine the truths which sustain your belief in God. Make sure one of them is etched with the words, My God is sovereign. Then be anxious for nothing. This is Max Lucado. Joining me now, author Becky Pippert. You may remember her from her 1979 book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. Well, this Friday, on May the 1st, the Good Book Company is releasing Stay Salt. It readdresses the challenges of evangelism in today's culture. Becky Pippert, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much, Carmen. Happy to talk to you. What a joy. Um, what a joy. You have influenced uh, me profoundly in, uh, in ways that uh, are really difficult to describe. When you wrote Out of the Salt Shaker, the world was uh, somewhat different than the world that we live in today. Maybe describe to us, from your perspective, what has changed and what has not changed. Mm, that's an excellent question. Um, well, what has not changed is uh, the gospel is true, the Holy Spirit uh, will help us. God is God of the, the, the absolute essentials of the Christian faith are absolutely the same. What has changed is the world. When I wrote Out of the Salt Shaker, it was a very different world. And it's why I wrote this new book, Stay Salt, because Karma, when you think about it, we have gone in really a short period of time from the absolute collapse of believing in absolute truth in the, in the world, the idea that we used to understand authority, now it's preference, the sexual revolution. So many things have happened that um, weren't true when I wrote Out of the Salt Shaker. And it's why I thought, okay, the essentials are the same, but we need to know how to share the gospel for such a time as this. When we, um, when we think about such a time as this, it's really difficult for us to, um, you know, imagine, let's say, six months ago when you were anticipating the release of this book, that you would be releasing it right in the middle of a global pandemic. So life has changed in some pretty dramatic ways, right, just in the last few weeks. Um, That's right. I, I perceive people to be asking questions that they've never asked before. I perceive a spiritual um, interest, curiosity openness. Um, how, how, do you, how do you think we can use this time well? Um, how could we witness well in these particular days? Oh, listen, there is exactly what you say. There is an openness now. Uh, it is remarkable, and it's global. I do so many uh, interviews, uh, Zoom and whatever, around the world, and I'm always asking Christians, tell me, read me the temperature that, as you see it. There is an openness. And why is this such a significant time to be able to share our faith? 
One reason is because what the world is beginning to see, and particularly in the secular West, is I am not in control. Uh, I am not uh, God. Uh, I need help. There is an openness that we need to be able to respond to. I have an agnostic friend who called me recently, and I've never seen the slightest crack in her confidence that she's God, that she's in charge. She calls me and she said, Becky, I need to tell you something. Since the, you know my belief, you know that I believe uh, and I've always believed that I'm in charge, that, that we don't need God. Since the coronavirus, what I've realized is that I'm not God and I never was. I cannot control um, a life. I'm not the master of my destiny. And she said, to tell you the truth, I've always known it. And I said, well, how did you always know it? And she said, Becky, if I'm God, what kind of God needs to take uh, pills for anxiety? <laughs> I thought that was, she said, that's not any kind of God I'd want to follow. She said, and so I, I am really open in a way I wasn't before. And one of the things we talked about is I said, do you know something? You've told me you've never read the Bible. I said, what would you think? If we just took a look at Jesus, just did a, a, a story from the Bible, you don't have to believe in God, you don't have to believe in anything, but you need, you can't make an intelligent decision if you've never read what who Jesus is and what he's like. And she agreed. And we are going to be doing Bible study, you know, with whatever form of virtual, you know, social media, and she's going to take a look at who Jesus is. It's one of my favorite things to do with my non-Christian friends. Bring them into the presence of Jesus. Jesus is irresistible. I've written you know, a number of what I call seeker Bible studies, but we need to get them. We start with friendship, but as soon as we can, invite them to take a look at Jesus and see what they think. Okay, so let's let's start right there. Um, I think that everybody listening right now, um, we have a overwhelmingly Christian audience. We know that about the people who are listening right now. Overwhelmingly, would self-identify as Christian. Every single one of us knows uh, someone who is not a Christian, um, for whom our heart burns and yearns. It's someone that we that we pray for, that we know well. Um, we have contemplated how we would start a spiritual conversation with them. We desire to. I mean, our heart yearns in that direction. Where do we start? Mm. Um, well, the first thing you start is prayer. And you ask God, show me who are the people uh, that I believe that you want me to share the good news with. Open their eyes. Help them to see the need. Open my eyes. Help me. That's the first thing. You 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 pray. Secondly, you've got to get involved. You've got to really care for them. Call them. Say, I've been thinking about you so much. How are you doing? Tell me the stresses and tell me the, the questions you have. This is a, a scary time. And, and perhaps in that conversation, if, they're, if they really share with you their fears, their questions, you could also say, can I pray for you? I just want to pray for you that, that uh, I want God to help you and to meet you. Now, that, that's the beginning. And so it's, it's the model of, of prayer, care, and share. Okay, so how do you um, then begin 
you know, to share the good news. And and one of them is is you could say, hey, if you could talk to God, what what questions would you want to ask him? I'm not saying that I know the answer, but I want to know what are your questions or what are the obstacles you have about why you're not sure if God is really there? In other words, follow Jesus' example. What did Jesus do? When Jesus was speaking with people, he didn't preach first. He asked questions. He roused their curiosity. He, he understood what it was. Again, the obstacles uh, to their faith, um, their, their needs, what was it they were looking for? When you look at Jesus and you see the Jesus way of showing respect, tremendous compassion, uh, and particularly asking questions. And maybe in the second half, I can give you an, a, an example of someone I did this with recently. But that's where you start. You pray, um, you care, and then using Jesus' way, you begin asking questions and drawing their interest to having a spiritual conversation. All right, when we come back, uh, Becky Pippert has just set up the next portion of the conversation. I'm going to ask her uh, to share with us an example of, uh, of a conversation that she recently had in, um, in this direction. We're also going to talk about her understanding of evangelism. I'm talking with author and speaker Becky Pippert. We are talking about her brand new book, Stay Salt. The world has changed. Our message must not. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Becky Pippert, you can find her online at beckypippert.org. We're talking today about her brand new book, actually releasing this Friday, Stay Salt. The world has changed. Our message must not. Uh, Becky, you set us up beautifully before the break uh, to share with us an example, a recent example of how you sort of start a spiritual conversation. Yes. Um, I was recently, although interestingly, I was able to get it in the book just in time, uh, my new book, Stay Salt, and I was sitting next to a woman, we had a long flight, and I was working on some talks that I was going to give, and she was very chatty, and she began talking, uh, oh my goodness, about all kinds of things, and I realized she wants to talk, I put away my materials. And this is always where you start. As I've already said, I just shot up a really quick prayer to the Lord and said, come Holy Spirit, come open up this conversation that open up her heart, help me to be sensitive, etc. So then I began asking questions. But what do you do when you're speaking to somebody? It's particularly somebody that you don't know very well. Find common ground. You, you see Jesus doing this. Um, find common ground, things you share. Now, it was, why is that so important? Because as the conversation continues, what well, of course, is they're going to learn, hopefully, that we are Christians. And one of the things that helps them not put us in a box is if we have already connected authentically as human beings. Uh, we like each other. Then they can't put us in that, oh, no, she's a fanatic. So <clears throat> finding common ground, I started asking her questions. And you find common ground very easily. Turns out we were both 
world travelers. My husband and I literally traveled the whole world sharing uh, the good news of Jesus, both evangelistically, but also doing evangelism training. So we traveled the world. We were really interested in cultures and languages and all of that. We talked a long time just about our common interests. Now, what happens when people find a connection with us? They begin to trust us more. And usually they begin sharing their values, their beliefs. Uh, and sure enough, she started doing that. As she started telling me her view on things, <laughs> I realized very quickly um, we had entirely different worldviews. So <clears throat> then the question becomes, when you know that they're saying something and you don't agree, how do you keep the conversation from shutting down? You ask more questions. So for instance, she said, you know, Becky, I really believe that human nature is good. I believe people are all good. Um, and, and I've believed that for a long time. And I said, well, can I ask you something? I said, um, how do you think the world is doing? Now, why did I ask her that question? I am gently challenging her worldview by not by saying, what do you mean people are good? Good heavens, look around us. You don't, you don't attack them. You ask a question. And so I said, well, do you, do you, what do you, how do you think the world's doing? And she said, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. I said, okay, now help me out here. How is it possible that the world is a mess if human beings are 100% good? She said, that is a very good question. She said, I think there's two problems we have. I think we have addiction problems for which we need rehab. And I think we are psychologically wounded and we need therapy. Don't you agree? Now, here's another point in evangelism. Agree where you can, where you legitimately can. <clears throat> and I, she said, don't you agree? I said, oh, I do agree. I think... Addiction and psychological wounding are tremendous issues, problems, and I think that these solutions have helped a lot of people overcome addiction and psychological wounding. Um, but I said, I want to ask you a question. I said, what if you're an addict, you get over your present addiction, and then you find out that you actually have a problem much deeper. Uh, we're addicted to ourselves. Uh, we've got a heart problem, uh, and 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 we're, we're we're addicted to ourselves. And she said, "Oh boy, I tell you one thing, uh, I'm addicted to myself, and it's exhausting." Uh, she said, "I I I agree, but Becky, if for addiction you have um, rehab, psychological wounding, you have therapy, who on earth could heal?" And a heart problem. Where do you go for rehab for the heart? And I said, well, I got to tell you, the only thing I've ever seen that can help with that is God. And I said, that, in fact, is what led me from being an agnostic at one point um, to actually becoming a Christian. But that's a long story. And I stopped. And she went, no, no, I want to hear that story. Now, now, why do you notice a couple of things? First of all, I used her language. I used, initially, I used her language about addiction, that we're addicted to ourselves. I didn't initially say it was sin. I did later in that conversation. 
but we need to argue on their turf as it is. We also need to throw out bait. Jesus said he called us to be fishers of men, not hunters of men. So as we throw out bait, like, well, I don't think there is any answer apart from God. That actually is what led me to eventually becoming Christian, but it's a long story. Why did I say it that way? I wanted to know if she was interested, and she was. What's fascinating in that conversation is she said, Becky, what does the Bible say then? What is the heart of our problem? And I said, um, you know, I, I think the, the, the deepest problem is that um, uh, we, ha- we think that we're God. Um, we, we have a God complex. We keep getting ourselves and God mixed up. And she said, and I, I find Carmen, I find very little pushback to this idea that we have a God complex. And she went, oh my goodness, there's no question I've got a God complex, but I don't know that I could live any other way. Um, So I said, well, do you know when we get ourselves and God mixed up, not only can we not do it, I said, it's way above our pay grade to try and be God. I said, we can't do it. But I said, do you know what the Bible actually calls, what the biblical word is for this addiction to ourselves? It's sin. And that's the problem. She went, that's what sin is? She said, that, that, we, that we think we get ourselves and God confused? I said, exactly. So that is just one example. I've talked to different people all the time in different ways. But those are some, you pray, you find common ground, you ask questions, you argue initially on their turf, you use their language to arouse their curiosity. And that opens the gate, as it did with this woman, to share the gospel and that conversation. And in fact, when we got off the plane, we said goodbye. She turned around then and said, Becky, I've got to ask you something. Um, I really want to continue this conversation. If I emailed you, would you email me back? I said, oh, I would. And we began then. And in fact, I asked her if I could send her some books. I sent her a Bible and I sent her a book I wrote. For, um, seekers, and uh, I sent her a Bible study, one of the Bible studies I've written to help non-Christians discover Jesus. Uh, so there is more openness. That is what I want to say, is that people are more open than than we realize, and especially, now, especially now. And Amen. so, and Becky. <laughs> I know yeah. we're, we're just completely, we're just completely out of time. I know. I mean, you and I yeah. could could uh, could have this conversation all day, and I would I would be delighted to. I know that there uh, are listeners uh, who want to continue this conversation. The way that you do that is through uh, Becky's book. It is Stay Salt. The world has changed. Our message must not. You can also visit with Becky online. BeckyPippert.org. Becky, what a delight. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. What a delight. Thank you. Equally. We'll be right back. Okay, wasn't that fun? Isn't she delightful? Um, Aren't you thinking to yourself, I wish I were sitting next to her on an airplane for a you know, across the ocean flight. Well, you know, frankly, those aren't happening right now. So uh, the best way to develop your faith today is through the reading of the Word of God and prayer. So let me encourage you to do that. It's been great being with you. Join me again tomorrow. Have a great day and God bless.
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.